Welcome everyone. My name is Jeffrey Goodman. I'm the Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana and we are here for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. My guest today is Kelly Todd. So Kelly, thanks so much for being here today. I'll give everyone more information on who you are and what we're here to talk about, but really appreciate you making the time. You're doing some incredible work. In Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's let's hop in. Um, my my first question for you is: You once said, even the smallest contributions from caring individuals culminate into great achievements for our children, youth, and families. Talk to me, if you could, about what you meant by the quote above. Sure. <laughs> um, so, prop, so thinking on that quote, I don't know when I said that, but it sounds really good, um, is our volunteers. So I began my journey with BYJ as a volunteer. I was actually teaching school at the time, and um, just what I got to see through volunteering was I couldn't commit all my time to it because I had a full-time job, but just the smallest time that I could commit to these kids in foster care is where I started out at. And meeting them and learning about them and seeing what their needs are and trying to find a safe, stable home for them. Um, and knowing that I was their voice, like I was their voice in court. I, I made recommendations and I, the judge actually ordered these things. And I was going, wow, this is like amazing that a citizen who's trained can go out and make these recommendations that really change a a child's journey in history. So um, I think the culmination part is watching a lot of these kids that I was once their boys. I've wa I watch them now and they're thriving. Um, got several kids that have gone on to just do great things, college, uh, Army, Marines, Navy, and, and they still keep in touch with me because for that year or two year period while they were in, were in foster care, I made that difference for them and they remember it. And I just think that that's something that people don't understand. Giving a little can go a long way. And, and you never know when you're gonna say that one thing or do that one thing that changes a child's life or a family's life for that matter. A lot of these kids were able to be reunified with their family. And those parents, they come back and thank you for helping them get through the, the foster care system. So that's, that is a, that's something that's, volunteerism, you'll hear me talk about that a lot, that everyone should consider doing because every little thing you do can make a huge difference. And tell me, for those out there who don't know a lot about the foster care system, what what contributes or what are some of the reasons that these families splinter apart or are separated and then what brings them back together? What are, what are some common causes for that? Probably com most common would be um, substance abuse, unfortunately, uh, mental health. Um, I, it's not poverty, it's more, um, it's more like a lot of these parents, when they grew up, they weren't taught the tools to parent. Some of them, it's just, they need some parenting skills and they, they're just parenting like they were parented. And, um, but most, most of our cases, and if I wanna do percentages, I would say about 40% come into care just because of substance abuse. There's drugs, the parents need to get treatment, and so they come into care, they um, are placed in a foster home, or with a, we try to find a relative, that's our first goal. But um, 
but probably substance abuse is probably the leading thing. A lot of neglect, um, not a lot of physical, I mean, physical abuse used to be common, but now it's really not one of our top things. It's probably in the 10, 15%, but you know, a lot of things like that. So um, a lot of these families work their case plans and are able to get their children returned to them. Um, some don't, and our goal at that point is just to help them find a safe, stable, permanent home with either a relative or a good, loving foster family. And I want to give, I want to jump into some background on you because your journey is, it really interested me when I started to do my research on you. Um, so I'm going to just tell people kind of how you got to where you are a, a little bit. Um, so back in 2004, I believe, you were teaching biology and coaching at Cap Sharif High School uh, when you first began volunteering for Volunteers for Youth Justice, or BYJ as it's commonly known. A couple years later, a job at BYJ came up in the court-appointed special advocates, which also goes by CASA department, um, due to a chance encounter with Virginia Sheehy and Virginia advising you to follow your heart, you ended up applying for the position, getting the job that included a pay cut, mm -hmm. and changing the trajectory of your career and life. You're now into your ninth year as the executive director of Volunteers for Youth Justice. I think that's right. That's correct. Okay. Can you talk to me a little about the organization BYJ and a few of BYJ's programs? Sure. Um, so I did start volunteering with BYJ. It's, it's, a, it's a story that you'll probably enjoy. Um, I was actually on a plane flying back from Florida. I think I'd been playing in a softball tournament or something. And I, I got on the plane and met these people that had on these shirts that said CASA. And I was like, CASA, what is that? And I was like, this is you know strange. And they were cheering and having a good time. So I sat beside, she was the CASA program director at the time. And she starts telling me all about CASA. I said, I had no idea. And I was teaching school. I didn't even know kids were in foster care. I really had no clue that people actually were in foster care, unless you saw it on the news. But when I learned there was like six to eight hundred a year in our community, just in Caddo Bozier, in foster care, I said, oh, I can, I can volunteer. So I became very interested in it and went through the training and I just fell in love. I mean, it, I knew right then that, I mean, although I did, I liked teaching. I loved co that coaching aspect, but I liked teaching because um, still you're making a difference in kids' lives. Um, but I fell in love with this because it was just a whole different concept of making a difference. Um, so I became involved with BYJ, like you said, in 2004, and I just kind of uh, progressed, uh, uh, mainly stayed in CASA until 2013, and I became the executive director. But uh, we've grown a lot. Um, when we, um, we run 10 different programs now. So CASA's one, uh, where we deal with kids in foster care. FINS is another big one, Families in Needs of Services. And that's where families who have children who are ungovernable, maybe running away, sneaking out, dabbling with some marijuana, they can bring, the whole family comes in and we service the whole family to try to get things resolved before the kid gets into deeper trouble. And then we have a lot of diversion intervention programs for kids who get into first time trouble, um, shoplifting, fighting, things like that, where we just, we, we give them and their parents life skill and workshops that they have to complete so that they don't get further involved with the criminal justice system. We're trying to keep the kids out of court. 
because everybody knows we all made mistakes when we were growing up and sometimes people just need a chance to, um, and, and tools. Um, we also run truancy for all of Caddo Parish, um, which that's a, a, an animal, um, especially ever since the pandemic. Um, and then we run um, a trauma-focused uh, program that, that focuses on working with caregivers and foster parents and teaching them tools to work with uh, kids who come from hard places and who are traumatized instead of, you know, th they require a little bit different type of parenting than kids who just had, a, had everything given to them um, and, and had it easy. Um, so we, we really, we run a lot, <laughs> we've grown, and um, it, it's just been an amazing experience. And what ages, what's the range of age that you guys work with? Uh, zero to 18. Okay. Now we go zero to 21 because there's now extended foster care for those kids. When they age out, they can remain in foster care and um, as long as they're going to school or have a job. And then that, that way we help them transition for three, get another three years with them. And we recently had Casey Monero in this chair and I was, I, I went and she had me come to the school and um, look at the program you guys are doing over there, which I was really amazed at. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing at university, what how, how this may be expanded to other schools in, in the parish. Well, um, I love it, I love Casey Monero because she is invested in her kids. So she was the principal that used to call me, and she won't mind me sharing this, every single day. Kelly, I gotta have this, I gotta have this. I was like, we can't just bring all our programs to your school. I mean, we just physically don't have the manpower. And she kept on and on. And so there was a grant that came up and it kind of focused on bringing like a school resource center together. I said, well, let me apply for that. And we ended up getting it. So I contacted Casey, our staff met with their staff and we planned for the year and it was amazing. So what we did is we put a dedicated truancy officer on campus. And that was key because she was out in the carpool, working park, carpool with the teachers in the morning. And so when the parent would drive up, she go, oh, she could address it there instead of having to call or try to send a letter and things like that. So she was hands-on addressing it. We had a hands-on TBRI facilitator, that's our trauma-based person. That So when a kid was acting out or having a meltdown, instead of them getting written up or getting a behavior referral, they could just send them to her and we have it, we built a, kind of a mini calming studio there where kids can come. It's a sensory field room where they can come and just get regulated and return back to class without having a big, big issue. And we also put our, um, our leadership academy for the fourth and fifth graders and we did conflict resolution, the preventative portion, teaching them different tools, not, not hitting, not pushing, not fighting, but talking things out. We had that out there for a third through fifth grader. And we also started, I mean, we weren't planning on doing a lot of things, but we started nurturing groups, reading groups. It just it just kind of evolved into this really great program. And are there plans to roll that out to other schools? We'd love, we'd love to, but as you know, everything requires funding. Sure. So we're working on that. Okay, great. I know Casey was, um, couldn't, couldn't, be happier uh, with the results and thought it was definitely a game changer yeah. for it's, her students and her school. Her staff and her, they just embraced it so it made it successful. Wonderful. So, um, preparing, preparing for my discussion with you, I came across some background on the formation of UIJ 
uh, which reminded me of how Providence House first came about. Can, can you talk about the origin of Volunteers for Youth Justice, who started it, and how it came to be? I can. Um, we were started in 1981. In 20, late 2021, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary. And so we, I, I actually know and still we invited actually some of the people who were still around. Um, so it was started by First Presbyterian Church. A group of ladies had gone to this conference, um, I don't know, South Carolina or somewhere, and learned about this program for um, for kids who got into first time trouble, just just an intervention program to keep them out of the court system. So they brought it back to First Press. First Press started, well not First Press, but members of the organization started BYJ in 1981. So, um, and then it started with an employee and a half, I believe, about about that. And it kind of rocked along like that for, for a while. And then they started in 1985, they started CASA. And then things just started to grow. And as, as BYJ got more involved with the court system and the DA's office and a lot, people just started bringing programs to us to start, y'all can do this, you have these partnerships. And, and we, we don't like to say no, so we just did. So um, it, it was amazing how it started 40 years ago, and today we have 48 employees and 400 volunteers. So it's just, it's been amazing to, watch, to watch it grow. Definitely a testament to what you're doing over there. Well, it's not just me, I have great staff. And. You, you've, you've worked and continue to work with many of the families in our community who are struggling. What are some things you could share or talk about that maybe the general public doesn't see or know about these families in crisis? You know, probably the biggest wake-up call was the pandemic. I hate to talk about COVID because it's not something that was um, pleasant, but at that time when we had the mandatory shutdown of our state, um, I called, we didn't shut down. We, we, we stayed home, but we didn't shut down. Probably similar to many nonprofits. Um, we started calling, our, our focus was to call every family, um, specifically the ones, the truancy, the intervention, the diversion, the higher needs families. Um, and we contacted them and it was scary. I mean, they were scared. Nobody from the, they shut down the schools. Nobody from the schools called them. They were, they were worried about how they were gonna eat because they lost jobs. So um, I think people need to understand that your community is not your zip code. Your community is the entire community. And these communities all have something they're struggling with. Um, one of my, and I have a lot of favorite nonprofits, one of my favorites is Common Ground um, in the Cedar Grove area. Uh, we partner with them all the time. They were such a, a lot of our families couldn't, did not have food, and they were a resource where we could send them um, for, for meals and take home groceries and things like that. And then we also utilized the food bank a lot. Um, they would deliver meals to families. But probably one of the things that people don't understand is poverty, and it's real. I mean, these people, the one, the, a lot of the families we deal with, they don't have resources. They can't afford they're transient, a lot of them. They can't afford to buy a new uniform 
when the school colors, the shirt changes because they had to move or they got evicted. These are real, real things that go on that I used to not comprehend either, really, because um, I had never experienced it to that level. Um, but I don't think people understand poverty, and it, it's, it's real, and mental health. Um, mental health, we see a lot uh, with our parents, a lot of mental health, and they self-medicate by using marijuana or whatever they're using. And I think it's the stigma of, of taking medication or being labeled as I have a problem that they just don't get, a lot of them don't get treatment. And then that ends up just them not taking care of their kids and, and their kids wandering the street and committing crimes. I mean, it's just, a, it, it, it's, it's scary how, how bad mental health is in our community. And I mean, you're in the trenches, you know, dealing with these areas that make a lot of us uncomfortable or a lot of us just want to ignore or act as though they don't exist because we just don't know if either they feel insurmountable or they're so foreign that they're so uncomfortable you know what what words of wisdom could you share how do you how do you lean into these areas of discomfort that so many of us shy away from yeah it's it's tough um but you just got to be real and you got to go out there and show them you care you can't i don't mind going anywhere i mean because I'm a person, they're a person, everyone everyone to me is our community, but um, it is uncomfortable and, and it's hard to comprehend sometimes the things that they're facing that we don't even think about. Um, I Just be real and, and go meet them. I mean, I, I'm not just gonna drive up in a neighborhood I don't know any, any zip code and just start knocking on doors, but when there's an event, we go volunteer there. When there's um, a, anything like that, we, or we go ask them, can we have an event here in your community at this spar? We spar is really a good place to get started there because if you show up at their community events, then then it's you're the community, and and they learn that you are someone that they can trust, and you're not there to turn them in to CPS or to judge them or anything, but you're somebody there to really help them and to, and to be there. So. No, that's helpful. I yeah. think uh, all of us, all of us need a, a nudge or a push, and I think all of us, you know, get involved. Want want to do more, right? Yeah. So, in in your in your opinion, are we breaking cycles? If not, what are we going to have to do differently to begin putting an end to some of the areas where our community struggles the most? Um, I wish I could say we're breaking cycles, but I, I see it every day. Um, we are touching some of the cycles, but as far as breaking, no. Um, there is a new initiative that um, is statewide called My Community Cares, and right now they're operating in 7-Eleven, 06, and 07. They identify the um, zip codes with the highest uh, amount of child removals poverty levels, things like that. And um, they're just now breaking the surface. So what they're doing in these communities is they're setting up like community cafes and they'll bring in like a mental health person and the parents can come, the children can come and they're trying to create events and do a lot of casework and meeting with parents. Um, but I think 
it's going to take a lot more things like that. I think, I think to break a cycle or to fix a problem in a zip code, to me, I think you have to get the neighborhood involved. I mean, because the neighborhood knows what's going on in the neighborhood. They're not going to tell me and you or anyone that's not in there what's going on. But they need to come up with solutions and they need to create plans to fix it and they need to address when crime's going on. They need to, they need to be part of the solution. Um, and I think that's what My Community Cares is attempting to do, but it's just, we have so much here that I don't know how you task two people with carrying out that kind of work. And that's a statewide initiative? It is, it is. It's funded by the Department of Children and Family Services. It's new. Um, the Community Foundation piloted it here. Uh, they piloted it in four regions, and Shreveport, of course, was one of them. And they're about to expand to nine regions, um, nine different, I don't know how many parishes that is, but regions is how DCFS breaks it up. But it's a, it's a good concept. We've just got to get it going. And what's it, what's it going to take? So, well, a couple questions. One, how are, let's start with, how, are you guys currently involved in that initiative? Oh, we or? are. We are. We, um, so anytime they have an event, they let us know when we come into the community and we try to provide help, volunteer. Usually they hold them at the SPAR. That just seems to be a good place for everybody to get to, like easy access and things, and it's big. Um, so we, we do volunteer with them. We, we're part of their, we go to all their meetings. We just try to keep up to date with what all they have going on. So the, the way I think it's gonna work is now they have some extra funding and they're actually gonna hire a, um, neighborhood lead person that's in the neighborhood they're going to pay them a stipend they're going to hire a case manager a connecting coordinator that connects them to resources and a parish um, head i don't know director or something so now they've got some funding to put into it i think when they first piloted it it was just here here you go community foundation see what you can do you know uh, but it i think it could be successful if 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 we can really get the right people and if someone wants to get more information about that, tell me the name of the program. Again. My Community Cares. Okay. It's, it's right now it's run through the Pelican Center, which is okay. part of the Louisiana Supreme Court's Court Improvement Program. That's a lot of information, but uh, they could actually call the Community Foundation right now to get more information. I think they're handing it off in September to another agency in town. Okay, great. And I'm down to my last question for now with you. Um, it is, what is currently your biggest challenge at, at VYJ? Or in other words, what could you use, what could you most use more of? Is it volunteers? Is it money? Or is it something else altogether? It's always gonna be volunteers. <laughs> um, we lost quite a few during the pandemic. Um, volunteering at VYJ is not volunteering 30 minutes to go plant a litter or going down to the, it's a lot, it's a commitment to a kid. So we ask a volunteer when they do volunteer to sign up for at least a year minimum because the last thing a kid needs is someone coming in out of their life and us putting different people with them. They don't understand that. Um, so volunteering, volunteers uh, specifically for foster care, that's a, that's a two year commitment. Most of the kids that come into care, they're not there just for a few months. It's usually a year to two years, unfortunately. Um, 
and then we need a lot of mentors, volunteer mentors. Um, we, we have mentoring programs where we pair, um, specifically in certain schools, Huntington, Green Oaks, we pair mentors with these kids. And these, these mentors take them on college tours. They, they really expose them to things they've never had the opportunity to see. They've never left Shreveport. Um, so just recruiting and retaining volunteers. And it's not easy to retain a volunteer, because after a year, you're, you're spent. Like you're, you're exhausted. You hate to call and say, "Hey, you want another? You want another case? You want to take this? You know, you want to help this family out?" But it, it's almost like after a year or two, they move on to something else. And I, I understand why, because it is very like you're talking twenty hours a week sometimes, depending on what's going on. And so, talk to me a little bit about so these volunteers, the ones that are signing up for a year commitment, they're not signing up to be a foster parent. No. They're, so tell me a little bit about what. Their week. What 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 does that twenty hours entail? What kind of work are they volunteering to do, and, and what can they expect on a on a weekly basis? Sure. Um, so first of all, they have to complete thirty hours of training and pass all of the background checks. Um, and then once they are assigned a case, they're actually paired with a staff member, a, a supervisor per se, uh, who supervises volunteers. But the volunteer actually works the case. They meet with the child. They're required to meet with the child once a month, minimum. Um, they meet with like teachers, doctors, relatives, uh, the foster parent. They go to the family visits when the child gets to visit with their family members. They, they attend those, not every single one of them. We don't expect them to go to everyone, but at least once a month. Um, and they, 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 are, they are like investigating, they are gathering information, is what I should have said, not investigating and trying to come up with um, recommendations for what is the what's in the best interest of this child i mean what what is possibly in the best interest not what the child wants or what the parents want what's in the best interest and it's hard because you're you're making recommendations on for a kid's life i mean it's 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 hard but so a lot of it's visit time a lot of it's court time uh court is usually held every three months they'll have a hearing just to give updates and give statuses to the judge um, and a lot of a lot of casework and they also have to write court reports I mean they get they have to be able to write and uh, but they have a supervisor that guides them through the whole process and anytime they run into an issue they can turn to that staff member who, who assists them but it's sometimes it's 20 hours a week sometimes it's two hours a week it kind of depends on what what uh what level the case is at and how do you pair how do you pair the kids with volunteer how does that process we let the volunteer we give them a little background of the cases there's plenty of cases I mean you know we give them the background and we, we find out what they might be best at and what they really do not want if, if it's a situation that they don't find that they would do a good job you know we just let it, we don't even show them that so we, we, we let them, them pick and how do you build your how, how do you find volunteers how do you build your list or prospects yeah. We have a recruiter trainer. We have two actually that recruit and train. They they're at events all the time, like all the races, the local races. Um, we just did an event at the Bloom Rally. We set up tables and recruit there. Uh, but our best uh, word of mouth. Um, Forty percent of our volunteers come from a friend who's a, who's a volunteer, letting them know about what we're doing, and then they'll sign up. A lot of speaking engagements. A lot of just anything we can do in the community to let people know that we're, we need volunteers. And if someone's interested, if someone's listening to this and is interested in more information about volunteering, 
What's the best way to contact you guys? The best way is to go to our website. Um, it's www.byjla.org. And you can even fill out the application online. You can get more information. Uh, we have a, a Q&A session on there where you can just learn and get your questions answered and, and learn about the commitment. Great. Well, so wonderful having you here, Kelly. You're doing extraordinary work in the community, and we're so lucky to have you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely.